It's 2022, which means it's a renewal year and you need CEUs. 30 if you're in South Carolina, and three of those have to be on ethics, jurisprudence, and whatever else goes in that category. Look, the year's going by fast, and you can knock out all those requirements with a MedBridge subscription, and you can get 40% off with the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD. I have a friend named Shelly, and she's a little lazy. Her words, not mine. She hasn't done any Con Ed over the past year and a half until she got her subscription set up. And what she does is she just puts modules on her phone while she watches 90 Day Fiance. Great show, by the way. Is she learning anything? No. But is she getting the local governing bodies off her bat? Yes. Your subscription also includes NSCA credits, OCS certification prep courses, patient education, home exercise programs, EMR integration. There's tons and tons of resources. Again, use the discount code BETTERFASTERPOD to get 40% off your individual subscription. That's the best price that MedBridge offers, okay? Only the best for our listeners. Now enjoy the episode. Happy Monday, everybody. This is a milestone for us. It's our 50th episode, and we have an outstanding guest for you guys. We got the opportunity to interview Chris Johnson. And for those of you who don't know who Chris is, he's the most prominent physical therapist when it comes to running. And this one is full of content. Chris talks about how he started his cash-based practice, his new book, Running on Resistance. Can't wait to get my hands on that one. The link to that one is in the show notes. We also discussed the necessity, I was going to say the importance, but actually the necessity for runners to strength train, not only for performance implications, but also for injury prevention. We also touched on running technique, and we find out what Chris thinks about Hoka's, as well as his upcoming clinical running essentials course that's going to be held at Vertex PT on November 10th and 11th. The link for registration is also in the show notes. All right. He's at Zarin PT on Instagram. It's Chris Johnson right here on the Better Faster Podcast. Happy Monday, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Better Faster Podcast. Today, we're joined by Chris Johnson, who is one of the most prominent and respected physical therapists, especially when it comes to endurance sports and running in particular. And he's done a lot. He's written books. He puts on some great content. He's actually come to our hometown uh, in a couple months and uh, has a lot of great online content as well. And I'm really excited for this one. Um, there's a lot I want to dive into. But first off, I want to say thank you, Chris, for coming on to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's always an honor to uh, to do these podcasts. It's flattering when people reach out. So, you know, thanks to you and Josh for uh, for bringing me on board. Oh, absolutely, man. We are uh, we are definitely honored to have you on here. And this is our fiftieth episode too. So this is a this is a landmark for us for oh, sure. Oh, congratulations! Awesome. Thank <laughs> yeah. you, thank you. Who kicked off the first one? Who was your first uh, guest? Ooh, uh, I believe Donnie was Donnie Thompson, um, a yeah. Columbia, South Carolina legend in the powerlifting world. Uh, we were oh, able- is he from Columbia? Yeah, he's he right is. down he down the road from us, so we uh, we took advantage of that. Yeah, that's awesome. He ha- he has some crazy products. I was cracking up the first time I uh, I heard some. It's called body tempering. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually right. he's uh, there's now a, a certification course. So you get you can get South Carolina CEUs for it. The next one is actually a week before you come to town. It'll be November third. Cool. How does he ship those? I, I would imagine that would be uh, three times the cost of the actual product. Yeah. So yeah, he um he actually does not make any himself. He uh, has some some buddies of his that will make them for you. But a lot of times it's he he just gives you the specs and and tells you to find the steel and and get it made yourself because it is so expensive to ship it. Mm-hmm. I thought he may have been from Pittsburgh, you know, uh, just with the the steel influence. But you know that would have been too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, that would have been perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Chris, um, just kicking off the episode, 
would you mind telling the listeners who aren't familiar with you a little about who you are and what all you're doing and how you got to this point in your career? Uh, I'm a wash, washed up masters athlete. Um, no, I, I, I guess, uh, these days, you know, I would say first and foremost, uh, you know, I'm a husband, a father, um, and, uh, you know, I have a physical therapy license and I do a lot of performance coaching, but, um, you know, I have a background as a sportsman and, um, you know, played everything in the book and ended up with a, a whole slew of injuries, um, you know, several of which resulted in orthopedic surgeries. And, uh, you know, I was studying finance during the early part of my undergrad. And, uh, you know, I was just so fascinated with the rehab process as I was recovering and, and rehabbing these injuries. And, uh, you know, I just, I became so fascinated with it that I ended up um, deciding to, to pursue a career in physical therapy. And it's been no looking back. And, uh, you know, I, I love what I do. I'm a pig in poop. And um, I, I work with athletes across the, the injury to performance spectrum. And, Right now, it's mainly endurance athletes, but you know, I work with a, a bunch of different demographics. Awesome. And you, uh, you've got a, we call it cash-based practice these days, but I think you, we were talking earlier, it's fee-for-service. You've had that going on for a while, right? Uh, before it became cool and before it became trendy? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's something that um, I, I would say that I got my start probably in 2005, and it was a situation of circumstances, you know, in New York City a lot of times people just lead such crazy lifestyles that they may not always be able to, to make their way to um, a facility or clinic. So, you know, they would essentially pay you to come to their residence. Um, so, yeah, I started off uh, back then. I was still working at the hospital. So, you know, uh, I, I essentially was doing house calls. And then I just got to a point where I, I was getting so busy in the clinic and getting pulled a million different ways when I was at the Nicholas Institute of Sports Medicine that, um, you know, I just had to sort of take matters in my own hands and, and open up uh, my own facility, which I just called Chris Johnson PT. Um, and uh, yeah, I had that for several years and then met my wife in Seattle and we relocated to, well, met my wife in New York. She's from Seattle and uh, we decided to, to make the move westward and um, start a family. So, and uh, it's exciting that we have two kids now and things sort of worked out according to plan, but I'm still running a, you know, as people know of it, a cash-based PT facility out here, um, which is a very different set of challenges uh, relative to New York. So, yeah, I can imagine. So, and, and I imagine it's probably a bit of a culture shock as well, right? Oh, total culture shock. Um, you know, I, I think the main thing when you're living in a place like New York, you're just, you're around so many different walks of life from the second you wake up in the morning. Um, you don't even need to leave your building, you know, but once you go outside, it's, you're, you're just forced to interact with people, some crazy, you know, a lot of great folks, but, um, you know, but that, that's, what's special about New York is that, you know, all of these people are forced to coexist and, uh, you know, generally, uh, they do so amicably. No doubt, man. I, 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 I hear that. I've, I've been there once or twice very briefly, but it's just, it's, I, I'm from the South, man. It's just a completely different world up there. I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't function. And, um, I was reading over your resume on your website uh-huh. a little bit and dude, you downplayed a little bit, but you're a pretty accomplished triathlete. You went to Kona, right? Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny is that I'm probably more fit now than I have been in the past <laughs> couple of years, but, um, yeah, you know, Kona's a, uh, I have a bunch of friends that are over there right now. I'm really 
obviously excited to have them race. Um, it's a crazy experience. It's a very um, spiritual uh, race. Um, it's tough to describe, but, you know, there's a funny saying that, you know, qualifying for Kona is more fun than racing it. Um, <laughs> but this year I sort of, you know, I had a, a pretty bad cycling accident in February on a family vacation to Hawaii. Um, and it just threw me for a loop because I had a clavicle fracture. I'm going to have to probably get the hardware removed in the upcoming weeks just because part of the plate is overhanging into the AC joint. So um, I haven't done any swimming because I'm afraid if I start cycling my arm through, you know, full flexion that in time it's going to, you know, probably create some issues. So, um, but it came at a good time. I mean, we had uh, our son who was born in June and, um, you know, we have a two and a half year old daughter and, you know, it gave me a chance to really pull this to bring this book to fruition too, uh, with my friends, Nathan Carlson, and Joel Satgas. So, um, yeah, it, everything's fun right now. It's busy, but it, it's fun. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to Kona next year. I already have a, a few races signed up. I've unfinished business with that course. No, that's, uh, that's so impressive, man. And congratulations on your growing family, by the way, too. Um, cause I mean, to, to go, to go to Kona, I mean, that means you have to finish an Ironman and, under under 10 hours right yeah most of the time i mean depending on what age group you're in um but yeah if you're in the you know just to put things in perspective i mean my friend who's racing there this year who who has a good shot of going top 10 if not going top three um he's he races 45 49 i mean he dropped a 908 in louisville um wow yeah i mean he this is my sparring partner from new york so um, I, I have a duty to beat his time. So I think he went nine thirty four last time in Kona. Um, so yeah, I mean, but that course is so the conditions are so unpredictable. Um, mm -hmm. and the course itself isn't challenging. It's more the conditions. I mean, the Boston marathon a couple of years ago, they were complaining about it was high seventies or maybe 80 degrees. And in Kona, you're running a marathon when it's like 96 degrees, a hundred percent humidity. Um, and it's just, it's a death march on the run. So, mm -hmm. um, but you know, that's what makes a race special. It's, uh, the conditions are so tough and, you know, all bets are off until you cross the finish line. Jeez, man, 908. That's, that's so hard for me to even conceptualize. I've done one Ironman. It was a bucket list and I finished right around 15 hours and I was dying. I mean, by the time I finished the race, you guys have already showered, had dinner and had a nap. That's, that's so crazy, man. But you, but you mentioned that, um, this injury you had, the, the silver lining was it gave you time to write this book. And I wanted to make sure we talked plenty about that. So this book, you just released it, what, last week, two weeks ago, what's the name of it? What, what's it all about? Where can we find it? Um, so it's called running on resistance and, um, you know, it's essentially a digital textbook. So, you know, I, I have all these exercises that I've been putting out for the online community um, for the past several years. And, you know, everyone is always saying, hey, well, how, how does this look when you're actually working with a patient? Um, so what this book um, really boils down to, it's all the exercises that we're routinely prescribing to patients as well as, you know, performance coaching clients. So, um, you know, we basically take a chapter and the first chapter is just connecting with endurance athletes, making sure that you speak a similar code. Um, the next chapter is programming considerations. 
And then we just go through, it's, it's almost like Dan John, how Dan John talks about, you know, you have to push, pull, press, hinge, squat, carry. Mm-hmm. Um, so with runners, you know, we talk about the march. We talk about, and with each chapter, so we'll, um, we'll say, here's a marching exercise. We'll give a one to two page overview, discuss anything that's been covered in the literature. And then we'll say, here are the anywhere from five to eight variations that we give that are all basically progressions of each other. And we have a very specific uh, template. So it's, you know, the name of the exercise, the rationale uh, and benefits, the specific learning objective, and then what, what constitutes success, what constitutes mastery, cueing considerations and common errors, and then you have a video link. So that way you can read about it, you can watch it, you can understand the literature. So we go through and it covers, like I said, the march, the toe tap, the step up, the bridge, the plank, um, the loaded carry, the um, calf raise or heel raise, deadlift, um, deadlift, squat, and then plyometrics. So, I mean... You think that you're going to rattle these uh, these projects off, you know, in a timely manner. And this book came out probably six months after the, you know, the initial deadline. But, you know, you can't rush it. Once you start going in the weeds, you want to really make sure it's polished and, um, you know, because it's, it's out there. And it's one of those things. It's an evergreen product, um, meaning that it's going to stand the test of time. And uh, I think there's 100 high-resolution videos. It's um, maybe close to... Geez, I would I think about 200 plus references. So, yeah, it's it's nice that it's done. I'll leave it at that because <laughs> if uh, if my son came into the equation, you know, he was born in June. If he came into the equation, you know, a few months before then, this we'd probably still be sitting on it. <laughs> well, so. I love how you laid that out. It seems like that is with that kind of layout and, and how you put it together, you know this is not only going to benefit the coach, but the practitioner, the athlete themselves. It sounds like it kind of fits across the board and that so many different people from it can, um, across the spectrum can get something out of this. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and we also put together three sample programs, which, I mean, again, the gold standards, individual coaching. I mean, let's all agree on that. But people also need this interface with a, you know, a weekly running program. So we broke it down for a high school runner, just a sample 12 week block. And it's, it's somewhat general because it needs to be um, a master's level runner and then a triathlete. So, and, you know, I think you guys can appreciate it. You know, certain folks just aren't going to do some of these exercises. You know, I have people that, you know, will never deadlift. You can get them to squat and you can get them to do loaded carries. um, But, you know, they may never deadlift. And, so the cool thing about this book is people can read the programming section and get a window into our thought process and then sort of plug and play wherever they want. If people love doing planks, it's going to show you the variations and the rationale. Um, and, you know, so that goes for every exercise. So they're almost all standalone chapters, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we encourage people to, you know, to read it verbatim um, because I think it will just give you that much more of a, you know, a more global understanding. No, I love that, man. I, it's, I think it's always good to give people options because yeah. like I said, it's not, you know, it's not individualized, but at least you can have plan A, plan B, plan C, that kind of thing. But one of the other reasons why I like this so much is because this is something that I've 
I struggle with still in my practice. It's hard for me a lot of times to sell strength training to runners. Uh, and it's either because, you know, you know, I work with people who've had a lot of success and never bought into it or, and because they don't want to change the way they've always done things. Sometimes there's some misconceptions, you know, they're, they're worried that it's going to hurt their performance and that might come from their personal beliefs or literally things that coaches are telling them. Literally today, I had a patient who came in and said that his coach does not want them to do any strength training, wants them running six, seven days a week because they will quote, get bound up and it's going to slow them down. So do you ever come across that kind of situation in your practice? And if so, do you have say like a, like a 30 second or a one minute elevator pitch that you give the runners that seems to convince them that this is something they need to be doing? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I, uh, let me preface this by saying, you know, one of the quotes that, that we pulled from Dan John that we put into this book is 80% of your time should be focused on the discipline at hand. So, you know, if you're a runner, you run, if you're a triathlete, you're going to be swimming, biking, running, you know, if you're a hurdler, you practice, you know, running hurdles. Um, so, you know, this is not to basically take up additional space, but, you know, if you have a modality that has been documented, you know, several times to improve movement economy, reduce or delay fatigue, improve your anaerobic capacity, enhance your maximal speed, and you're not doing it, well, shit, that's a problem because, you know, it's right there in front of you, you know, and most people, especially with these schools, they have gym access. Um, and again, I think that there are certain people who just naturally are stronger than others. Um, but you know, there's some really simple assessments that you can go through, you know? So, um, you know, for example, if you want to look at something like the calf muscle complex, you know, um, have people do single leg calf raises, you know, and you could, you should be able to do at least, you know, at least 15. Um, and if they can't, well, then you should be building capacity in that, in that muscle group, especially with distance runners. But, you know, I think there's a lot of dogma. Um, you know, again, people are concerned they're going to put on masks and, you know, 99% of the studies show that that's just a farce. I mean, that's not, that's not the case. So, um, but I, I think that there's just uh, that's part of the running culture and it's slowly starting to change it, but, you know, but people don't read a lot of the scientific literature. And, and I think that uh, it doesn't always get to the, you know, the general public, but yeah, I mean, I'm being in Seattle, there's some old school coaches and, um, and they definitely instill that, you know, that line of thinking, um, you know, much to my chagrin, but um, you know, I think that as Greg Lehman says, you know, if there's one thing a runner should do beyond run, it's strength training, you know? So, and Greg is, uh, you know, to say he's well read is an understatement. So. Yeah, man, that, that was outstanding. That's definitely the, uh, that's definitely the sound clip that I'm going to cut out of this and, and push around my community for sure. Um, and the other thing too, is I, I think that a lot of times people will tend to do what they see more so than what, more so than what you say. And one example that comes to mind is that um, it was, I think it was there in the 2016 summer Olympics. They were showing uh, Mo Farah. Uh-huh. He was doing, he was doing cleans. I mean, he was, he was getting after it and he had the performance of his lifetime really at an age that should be past his prime. And you know, the thing about that is that he was, he was lifting heavy. I mean, he was using real weight to create that ad- adaptation. He was getting after it. And um, you know, I think that's another misconception is that runners think that you just have to go light and do tons of reps because you're an endurance athlete, right? Can you talk about that a little bit too? 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, so Mo just won uh, the Chicago Marathon too, and he's racing, you know, technically he's a master's level runner. You know, he's racing the 35 to 39 age group, if you want to put him in an age group. Um, so, but, you know, I think the the challenge is all, how do you get someone from point A to point Z in his case, you know? Um, so I, I think you have to really look at where a runner is and meet them there. So, um, you know, but I just want to compliment, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Dave McHenry and, and, uh, Matt Walsh. Matt's a friend who's in Portland. He's a physical therapist as is Dave. Uh, I don't know. I don't personally know Dave, um, but they're working with, uh, with Mo, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, people don't realize, I mean, how strong these runners are, you know? So you, you look at them and you you think that, Oh, here's a scrawny runner. They're strong as hell. And, uh, and I think that it, all you need to do is go and sit in on a weightlifting routine and, and you'll, you'll figure that out pretty quick. Um, but again, I think you have to look at, you know, are we dealing with a, you know, a high school adolescent runner who, you know, is green or new to strength training? You know, that's someone you're going to start off with, with body weight. Um, you can do some, you know, some technical drills, like getting, getting them doing A skips and stuff like that. But, you know, once they start getting a customer, they develop proficiency with or master body weight, you know, that no longer is going to become a stimulus. And that's when you have to start building general strength and simple stuff. I mean, I love goblet squats with these runners. I love um, loaded carries. I love step ups just because it challenges coordination and forces single leg loading. Um, and, and eventually that's going to morph into maximum strength and then eventually power and, you know, rate of force development. So again, it's just slowly nudging someone along, um, that spectrum. So does that, does that answer, answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, and, and then just to recap what you just said, I mean, in the beginning, a lot of times it's just about mastering the fundamentals, learning movement competency, just like any other sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, today I was lifting and, uh, you know, I was practicing step-ups, you know, I have a weighted vest on, um, but I, I still just come back to the fundamentals just to check in with myself. Um, so, you know, today was, um, I basically was doing back squats, you know, so barbell back squats. Um, I was doing loaded carries. I was doing step-ups and a push-up hold. All right. So I don't do a lot of full range push-ups right now just because it, it drives my left shoulder crazy with that plate overhanging the AC joint. Um, but most everyone can learn, you know, just a push-up plank or just a standard push-up isometric. So, um, yeah, nothing fancy. You know, the funny thing is all these videos that I put out, it's, it's just me playing with movement. And, uh, and I think that there's a therapeutic element to that. But if you came in and, and were, say you were a fly on the wall and, and you saw me strength training, I'm doing the basic stuff, you know, I'm doing heavy loaded carries, I'm, you know, doing different squat variations, um, step ups, deadlifts, you know, rowing variations, um, you know, you name all stuff that, that you guys are very familiar with and probably coach on a, on a great level. Definitely. I saw one of your recent videos. It like you're doing some David Blaine street magic, like the, the invisible chair rose. What, what was that? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a way to, uh, to load up the, the soleus really the calf muscle complex, but the soleus. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was playing around with a bunch of stuff after this clavicle fracture and that was one of the, uh, the exercises I came up with. Um, 
I actually like it a lot. I'll tell you the one exercise that loads the hell out of the, the soleus is um, the kettlebell creep, you know, or like um, tiptoe, you know, loaded yeah. carries. So. Yeah, I already stole that one from you, man. That's a, that's a great one. I've used that one yeah, a few they're, times. They're deceptive. So. Yeah, man. And, uh, and, and you definitely look the part, man. You're, you're, you're definitely arrow for sure. <laughs> um, how many videos you got, man? You must have a thousand on YouTube. I probably page. have a thousand and that's only the stuff that, that I put up. Um, I was posting everything on YouTube and I just all of a sudden went silent. I've been doing more stuff on Vimeo. Um, but I'll tell you, I've been posting most of my content on, uh, on Instagram. So, but yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I've tapped out, I still come up with just random ideas that, you know, will hit me at, you know, the most bizarre times. And, uh, yeah, so I'll just record it, put it up on Instagram. And I'm not saying this is an exercise that someone does. It's just sort of something that piqued my interest and, uh, I put it out there. So, um, I probably have just as many questions about it as the folks who uh, are reaching out to me. But, you know, I, I think a lot of times too, I'm just, it, it's hopefully motivating to just get someone to move where they watch it and they want to try it. And if, if that's the outcome, I've won, you know, because I think that just getting people moving is, uh, you know, a big part of the, uh, a big part of the equation. Absolutely, man. It's fun. It's fun yeah. to explore. Chris, uh, switching gears here a little bit, I was hoping we could touch a little bit on running technique because I know that's going to be a part of a big part of the course as well too. But where do we start with this? I mean, is it, is it just acknowledging that running is a skill? Yeah, that's, that's still a very contentious uh, topic. You know, I, I will say that when you look at most of the top runners in the world, even though some of them seem to have wonky form, you know, um, most of the top ones, they, they have an element of grace and fluidity when they're not in a fatigue state. And you're going to always see outliers like Priska Jep too, and, you know, perhaps uh, Gebra Selassie, but there are also some common denominators among these, these runners. The article by Folland and colleagues, which is open access from 2016, that's F-O-L-L-A-N-D. Um, it talks about, you know, running form and technique. Um, so again, we'll delve into this in the course, but, um, you know, most of these folks are, they're relatively upright. They have short ground contact times. Um, and, uh, there's a few other factors, but I think if you're working with someone, um, you know, if they're running consistently and they're do a, doing a good job managing their loads, you know, make sure you're not drawing attention to something that may just be an incidental finding too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we'll take, we'll take a bunch of people through a treadmill analysis and, you know, we'll figure out what to focus on and, and what may be a distraction or, you know, an area that you could potentially create a nocebo effect. Sure. Uh, so, and anytime you're running too, I mean, we have to say, is this person healthy or are they dealing with injury? Are we seeing, you know, them playing defense to work around the pain. Like a great example is I saw this woman the other day who's, um, you know, marathon trials qualifier. I mean, very gifted runner. And she came in and, uh, you know, she naturally initiates contact with her forefoot, but this time on her left side, she was adopting, uh, she was initiating contact with the heel. Um, and then on the right side, she was initiating contact uh, with her forefoot, which is her, her natural strike pattern. 
And when you look at that, you, you can't start jumping to a lot of conclusions except first say, well, there's a strike asymmetry. And, you know, is she aware of it? And yeah, she was definitely aware of it. And you get to talking and she said, well, I'm doing this because I've been having mid-portion Achilles tendon issues. And she's doing that to shift the loads away from the Achilles, you know, to desensitize it. So, um, again, she could have perhaps, you know, motor weakness stemming from, you know, her spine that's affecting the calf muscle complex too, which, so you have to just have this, you know, this list saying, well, it could be X, Y, and Z and not to jump to conclusions right off the bat. So, I, but I think people have a very idealistic notion of what constitutes, you know, um, proper running form, you know, but you'll see a lot of people who are world-class that break these rules too. Yeah. And, you know, I want to elaborate on that a little bit more because just in, in some of the courses I've taken over my career, it seems that there are these tribes when it comes to running education and people get so dogmatic on their approach where either everyone should run one way and, you know, I always, always am a little bit hesitant whenever people subscribe to absolutes, always this or never that, because that's never true in anything else, especially when it comes to sport and fitness. You know, we all have individual differences and there seems to be a lot of guru driven stuff in the running world. And I'm not sure how that came about, but there's things like, um, you know, everyone should be a four foot striker or we all need to run 180 steps per minute. Um, I always see that stuff pop up in different instances can you shed a little light on that? Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, first and foremost, if, if everyone should be running on their forefoot, why is it that, you know, 90 plus percent of the population, you know, initiates contact with their rear foot and does just fine. Um, you know, if you look at some of the mathematical modeling studies, yeah, forefoot strike is going to lend to running a little bit faster, but, you know, I would say the, the most versatile, foot strike if we're going to basically just look at the foot as a rear foot strike um, like a gentle I call I don't even call it a rear foot strike though with runners I call it a full-footed stride in that way they can't start automatically attaching connotations to it um, but you know I I want to give credit to Matt Walsh he's the one that really you know I bite I bite off this statement a lot it's you know it's not so much strike pattern it's strike posture I mean unless you've cut the person's foot off and you're just looking at their foot, which obviously that's not going to happen, but you have to look at, you know, what's the rest of their body doing, you know? And so with Kona coming up this upcoming weekend, you know, they'll do a nice piece. And I would encourage you guys and, and the listeners to, to look at the top 15 runners and they'll, they'll basically show the top 15 finishers, male and female, and they'll show their strike pattern. We don't necessarily know at what point in the race it is, but you know, a lot of the times you're going to see a rear foot strike because these people are fatigued, and if they're going to continue to run fast and hit the ground hard and their calves are fatigued, well, you better bet your ass they're going to, they're going to use their heel, especially when they have a cushioned surface such as a shoe in between it to, to protect them a little bit. Um, so again, you have to look at so many factors. Is someone running uphill? Are they running downhill? Are they running in the wind? Are they fatigued? You know, um, you know, you have to consider their cleat position on the bike. If it's, you know, further forward, they're going to probably fatigue their calves out more versus if they shift the, you know, the cleat all the way back. Um, 
So you start to realize that this is complex stuff, you know. Um, we didn't even get into any, you know, footwear considerations, but, you know, and with 180, that's, that's based off of Jack Daniels' observations at the, uh, the 84 Olympics. And he just basically said, you know, most of the, the runners who were, you know, finishing on the podium um, tended to have a step rate that was over 180. But you can look at Lacey Ludke's work, and you know, and I believe it's open access. That's L-U-E-D-K-E, um, and, and she looked at step rate in high school runners. And I would say that, you know, if someone is, um, if someone's under 165 and, you know, they're they're having knee pain, yeah, I'm I'm interested in tinkering with their step rate. You know, if they're having an Achilles tendinopathy, um, you know. I'm going to probably get them to turn their feet over a little bit faster because the research uh, has shown that to be beneficial. Um, so again, I think that people start subscribing to, uh, to a lot of these, these just arbitrary numbers and it's really, uh, it's a disservice. So. Yeah. I love that you brought up footwear there too, because that seems to be a huge, uh, huge camp situation where people are going back and forth. And even within you know, our setting, you know, working in a CrossFit gym, you know, there was a period of time where everybody was walking in minimalist, minimalist shoes. And then ev- now, you know, now every time we have a running workout, people are pulling their hokas out and, you know, and ready to, to, to run. So, um, how do you usually approach the, you know, the footwear conversation with someone? Is it, is it pretty individualized or you're comparing that with kind of their natural strike pattern or things you're trying to do with them? Um, you know, how do you go about that, uh, that aspect of everything? Uh, well, I always make a note of what shoe is this person coming in with, you know? Um, and I'm always amazed. I mean, most of the time, especially with people who have been running for a while, the shoe that they have doesn't remotely surprise me, you know? So for example, I'll see a lot of runners coming in who may have you know, some stiffness or limitation in ankle dorsiflexion. And, you know, they have sort of a medium width foot. And a lot of times they'll end up in a pair of Brooks with like a 10 millimeter drop. And I'm like, that makes sense. So I always, uh, I always treat shoes as a secondary, if not tertiary consideration. Um, and again, this is for most distant recreational distance runners and triathletes. The performance group's a little bit different, but um, I want to just say, hey, you know, what have you been running in? What do you find comfortable? And really st- keep probing them to find out how they ended up in the shoe that they're in. Um, but again, to me, uh, I think shoes are, like I said, a secondary, if not tertiary consideration. Um, I want people to just make sure they're in a shoe that's comfortable, that's uh, free of defects, and um, that they run in more than a couple pairs of shoes, different type, different brand. Uh, and, uh, and above that, you know, let the, the conversation unfold. So hookers are fair game? Yeah, I mean, so my friend that I was saying, you know, just who almost cracked nine hours in Louisville, you know, he swears by them. He's always jabbing me. He's like, Chris, I got, I got a fresh pair of hookers. Loving them, man. You know, I'm, they're, they're going to take you down in the next race. <laughs> and uh you know so but i think it can really create a distraction when someone comes in to to see me um if someone's using hokas and they're not having issues keep using them if they're having issues and they come in and they're you know when they go to do a step up or you know they're going to i don't know 
I'm more concerned when people start strength training in Hoka's, to be honest with you guys. I mean, you appreciate that working out of a CrossFit gym. Yep. yep. So it's got to fit the application essentially. Uh, yeah. It's like, you know, doing, uh, doing squats or deadlifts on foam pads. You just don't do it. <laughs> you know, the whole time you were, yeah. The whole time you were talking about those, the, the different camps for different things and brand, you brought that up. I feel like that's the, you know, most of my aspect within CrossFit is kind of gone towards the Olympic weightlifting side of things. And man, you want to talk about camps and there's a right way to do this and everyone has to do it this way. No, no matter what their body proportions are. And it, so, um, it, it, it's always interesting when, you kind of run into somebody who's who's been in one of those camps and they're coming to you for help yeah for sure maybe that's why i was never a good camper you know uh, <laughs> yeah i you just have to look at everyone on an individualized basis uh and there are certain people who can get get away with running in anything you know um i'm one of those for the most part you know except with hokas every time i've tried hokas i either they chew up my feet and this isn't a knock to their brand i think that uh but you look at their, their shoes and they're starting to basically come a little bit more middle of the road and they'll always have, you know, the extreme, um, you know, like the bondies, but you know, a lot of their shoes are starting to become a little bit more, uh, starting to resemble some of the, the other shoe companies. And I think that, you know, the dust always settles in a relatively balanced point. That's right. You got to evolve or die, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, we, we touched on it briefly, but let's talk about this course coming up. It's November 10th and 11th at our clinic, Vertex PT in Columbia. Uh, the registration link is in the show notes. I'm really excited about it. It's getting a lot of buzz amongst PT community in my area. So it's called Clinical Running Essentials, correct? Correct. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about it? Who is it for? Who can attend? And what can we expect? Uh, well, I always, I'm one to always open the doors to anyone who has a keen interest in running. All right. Um, you know, any clinician, practitioner, I don't care if people come in off the streets. I mean, obviously, they're not going to be able to, to do any of the, uh, the assessments where we're going hands-on with people. But um, I also teach them ways to assess a, a runner without touching a runner. And that's something I do with a lot of students. You know, I'll say, hey, look, you're not allowed to put your hands on this person or you're not allowed to use your hands at all this week. You know, so you start imposing constraints on them. But yeah, I mean, this is a course, this is really, uh, I always put a, a picture up of a, a barn raising and say, this course is about a framework. Everyone comes with a different skill set, and I want you to be able to plug and play. But I also want you to understand that running has a specific set of performance demands, and it's a plyometric activity. And you have to identify where someone is if they're having, you know, if they have a tissue injury, if this is, you know, a load management issue, if this is, um, you know, whatever the case may be, we want to identify where they are and how we slowly and deliberately nudge them in the right direction. Um, I feel like a lot of clinicians are great at at getting things calmed down, but they never really push the needle and prepare a runner for the demands um, that I just mentioned. And then that runner will go back and they they may be able to get away with some running, but they're really holding, they're crossing their fingers, hoping that they're not going to blow up. And invariably um, they come hobbling home one run and you're saying, why did that happen? Um, And just as much as we talk about all that stuff, um, there's also a a way to speak to runners. So we'll pull in some motivational interviewing, therapeutic alliance stuff, but you know, you'll just start picking up certain phrases that again, will be very sticky when you hear them. 
um, throughout the weekend. And I think that's one of the things that, um, that really is invaluable when you're working with runners. So, um, you know, little things like, you know, if we're talking about treadmill analysis and someone's having knee pain, we can talk about the 520 rule. And you're like, well, what's a 520 rule? It's a 5% increase in step rate leads to upwards of a 20% reduction in shock absorption when you keep running velocity constant, you know? Um, little things like if you can skip, you can run, all right? So um, this course is so much fun and it's not about, I don't travel around to hear myself talk. I only come in if someone is, uh, if someone reaches out to me. You know, I think in this case, Amy, is it, uh, how do you pronounce her last name? Amy D. <laughs> Amy D. Yep. De, de, Amy Amy Yep. Yep. We're oh, gonna go. We're gonna go with it. <laughs> I got it right. Um, you know, so she she was sort of the impetus for this, and you guys were kind enough to open your doors. So um, it'll it'll be a really fun weekend, and uh, you know, I'll pull a lot of stuff from the book, and uh, and I think that that will be helpful too. That's going to be, that's going to be great, man. Um, I, I'm really, really excited about that. And just let me, let me recap what you just said. So a 5% increase in step rate can reduce what by 20%? Uh, it can reduce shock absorption by upwards of 20% at the level of the knee. That's so huge. Yeah, it's huge. And when you say, when you tell that to a runner, they're like, Oh, the 520 rule, you know? So I think that as clinicians, what we really refine is, how we convey our message to patients and doing it in the most clear and succinct manner um, because people latch on to these sound bites and it's not just in our field, it's across the board, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, and just also respecting that running is a hierarchical skill. So you can have someone do all the squats and deadlifts and, you know, that's going to build tissue capacity, but at day's end, you need to watch someone run because, you know, maybe something related to their running that's a problem, you know? Yeah, and that's something that in the CrossFit world is, it seems like it's it's such an issue in, in just your general CrossFit gym because, you know, running just is sometimes, depending, you know, on the, the quality and the level maybe of the programming of the gym, you know, it's just thrown in. You know, sometimes it's like, okay, well, you know, today we're going to run, you know, this many 400s today as the workout, or it's going to be an AMRAP that has this much running in it. And, and I think people for, forget that notion um, that it is, you know, a skill that has to be learned and perfected. And yes, it's important to have, you know, this base layer of strength, as you mentioned, for, you know, the tissue capacity to be able to perform this skill. But uh, a lot of times I feel like, you know, where I'm excited to be able to implement this is, you know, if I'm coaching a group class or with an athlete to be able to start, you know, perfecting that skill and adding that into their regular training so that when I do want to maybe build running volume, they're prepared for it. Yeah. And I would say with CrossFit athletes, you, you've already, I think, um, because they're already lifting, you don't need to really sit there and, and preach to them about the importance of strength training. You know, they're already there, you know? So um, I think that you can incorporate some, you know, just simple, you know, tweaks to their program. So like with the loaded carries, for example, you know, I'll do very slow rhythmic loaded carries, you know, going heel to toe. I'll do it marching. I'll do it flat footed landing. So you can just do some, very, make some very simple tweaks to their program that are going to start to really get them thinking along the lines of running a little bit more. Um, so 
and Chris, let's say if we were coaching a group class, say we had 10 athletes, if we didn't have time to do like an individual gait analysis, do you have any go-to cues that you use for people that see, they seem to respond to most of the time, maybe not all the time? Oh, I, you know, I, when you'll, you'll laugh when I teach treadmill analysis, I, so I put out a, um, a digital guide, you know, people call it an ebook on um, demystifying treadmill analysis. So anytime I watch someone run, I basically boil it down to strike, sound, step rate, speed, surface, shoes, slope, shank, swing. Okay. And when we, when we do this course, we're going to write all those up on a whiteboard. And with a runner who's coming in, let's say that, you know, they are, they've been dealing with a, you know, some sort of niggle or they are dealing with a tissue injury and they, uh, they end up in your clinic. So when you get them back to a point where, you know, you're able to do a treadmill analysis where you're not looking at them compensating or working, playing defense, we'll put those, those different factors or variables up on a whiteboard. And then we'll just slowly start to take them off and take things off the table that aren't relevant. And, uh, and I would say, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to get down to step rate as being one of the factors that you want to tweak, you know, with most, with most recreational distance runners. Um, and speaking specific to the CrossFit athlete, I, I do think that there's still this notion. I have a lot of CrossFitters that'll still come in and consult me that, you know, running on your forefoot is the answer. And, uh, yeah, invariably they, they're there with a the calf muscle complex injury. So, um, but yeah, you, you guys will love the, uh, the treadmill analysis portion and, and we'll commit, you know, a couple hours and we'll take as many people through that as you want. And you'll see like how quick all of these folks who come in, you know, to see me, I would say most of them have had, in, have gone through a treadmill analysis on an instrumented treadmill and they're still not back to running. You know, they have a big hole in their pocket, but they're still not back to running, you know? So as a clinician, we need to bring about meaningful change in a timely manner. Now, if you're in a research setting, by all means, like, yeah, you want an instrumented treadmill, but, you know, ultimately the goal with someone who's coming to see us is they want to get back to running. They don't care how you go about doing it. Sure. And it's in this, this whole, just, just concept of, you know, running analysis, running coaching correctives. I mean, this is, this is a big hole in the PT education system as well. I don't recall getting anything about runners when I was in school. I don't know. Do you get much? Josh is in school right now. You got anything about it? No. Outside of clinical rotation? No. I mean, briefly we got, you know, the only, (laughs) I mean, just a little bit, mainly I was lucky to have been at Vertex for a clinical rotation. So I, you know, did get some running education, but, um, you know, for the most part, no, it's not really a, a topic of discussion. I, yeah, I sure as hell didn't get any. And I, there were some prominent researchers, uh, you know, at Delaware when, when I was going through didactic training and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's why I've ended up in this, uh, in this domain is because, um, it was, it was an area that I thought I had command of just cause I had some affinity to run. And then I started working with people. I'm like, Oh, I don't know my ass from a hole in the ground, you know? So uh, it, it made me go back and uh, really just closely examine what does running boil down to? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's some, there's just a ton of literature out there. So, um, and, and I'm not the only one, you know, in this domain, there's some other brilliant people. I mean, there's a, a laundry list of brilliant people. Um, so and I'm going to, I'm going to spare rattling off names. Cause I know I'm going to, you know, forget to include two or three and they're going to email me after they hear this podcast. Um, so, 
Well, we know this course is going to be an awesome opportunity for people, and that's November 10th and 11th, and there's still spots to come uh, to sign up. So, you know, I want people to make sure to get on that. But as far as the book, where can people go to get their hands on a copy of that? Uh, so right now it's just on my website. So if you go to chrisjohnsonpt.com, um, it is under the, the products tab, and it's just called Running on Resistance. Um, and, yeah, it's right now it's $99, which – um, again, this is a digital textbook. This is something that hopefully, um, you know, a lot of programs will embrace and work it into their curriculum. Um, you know, it's, it's taken me several years to get to a point where I have these demos down where, you know, I feel like it's a model of performance I can stand by. Um, but it also gives a lot of the, you know, the rationale and, and infuses the research into it. So, um, so yeah, it's, we actually hit um, we hit a hundred sales today, which is great. I, I was launching this about a, a little over a week ago at the uh, Rising Tide conference. Right before I was about to go on and speak, I like did a quick video on Instagram, made the book go live, and you know, um, and then went right into a presentation. So, but you know, just to to bring up one point, and you know, for for people who are listening that have bought it, I mean, thank you so much. I you know, I really set aside a ton of time and, you know, I teamed up with Joel Satgast, who's at Methodist University, not too far from you guys, and Nathan Carlson, who's at, uh, who heads up KC Running Mate, uh, works out of KC Endurance. Um, it was fun to work with it, uh, on, work with these guys on that project. We just share a similar set of values and, um, but we're, we're thrilled to have it come to fruition. But the one point I wanted to make, um, you know, when I gave this talk in Albuquerque and it was entitled migrating runners out of the medical system, I think that one of the biggest pitfalls and that doesn't need to be a pitfall is engendering this notion that runners should always be pain free. You know, um, you know, never assume the responsibility that you have to make a runner pain free to get them back to training. And I think that's something that hand ties a lot of runners, you know, they get people fixated on zero out of 10 pain and a hundred percent. And, you know, I think you have to determine what's acceptable pain to them. And if it's low level stable pain and you're not worried about any sinister condition, um, keep exposing them to it. You know, I think Greg Lehman talks about this in his courses, you know, expose or protect, you know, and if it's exposed, give people parameters. So, um, you know, I just, I rarely can think back to a situation where I was, you know, pain-free 100%. You know, you never hear any professional athlete saying, yeah, I was 100%, you know, zero out of 10 pain. They're usually like, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm at like 90% effort and you have a couple niggles, but, you know, let's see if we can get it done. Um, and you'll see, uh, I'll talk about anecdotes. I discharge people all the time. They're like, yeah, I have one or two out of 10 pain. I'm like, oh, you're good. You know, you know exactly what to do. Um, and I think that's a really powerful message to someone. And, you know, it gets them to sort of uh, realize that even though they have some discomfort and or low level pain, they're safe. Now you need to make sure they don't have a bone stress injury, which, you know, again, that'll tend to, to be worse with repetitive loading. So you have to understand, it's like if someone has a tendinopathy, it may warm up. So you have to look at how they're responding, you know, for the rest of the day, as well as the following morning. You know, someone with a bone stress injury, their pain is likely going to, to get worse with repetitive loading and will ease when you remove the load. 
So uh, again, I want to make sure people don't misconstrue that, but it's having, it's delving into details like that, that we'll, uh, we'll cover in the course. And that way you have confidence and, you know, and lastly, the reason we have a license is because if for some reason we have a, you know, a patient do an exercise or they go through a progression uh, of like a return to running program and they have worse pain, that's why we have a license, you know? So I'll leave you with that. Well, that's good, man. And that's so true. I, I like how you're able to you know, weave that into pain science education as well, too. Yeah, this is gonna without, be good. without really, you know, basically speaking in bumper sticker slogans. Right. Um, so, and that's really important when you're collecting the history, too. Because you know? mm-hmm. most of these, these endurance athletes, you know, sure, I mean, there's situations like myself where I had this clavicle fracture, but most of the time it's, I hate the term repetitive overuse. Let's just say they're non-traumatic injuries. Mm-hmm. So, which automatically puts you on the, on the right side of the fence or the side that you want to be on. Awesome. Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on. I know you mentioned the website, Chris Johnson PT. Um, and also you are very active on Instagram. What, uh, what's the handle? Where can they find you? Uh, so it's Zarin PT, Z is in zebra, E is in echo, R is in Robert, E is in echo, N is in Nancy, P is in Paul, T is in tango. Um, so Zarin PT, and a Zarin is a Mongolian gazelle that jumps high, uh, runs far, and swims well. So I was wondering where that came animal. from. I was, ex- I, was, I was hoping to work that in there to figure out where, where that came from. I love it. Yeah. So my it's a spirit I, animal, man. Uh, Yes. <laughs> is it my spirit animal? Yeah. Yeah. Damn straight. It's my spirit animal. <laughs> so minus the swimming, I'm not swimming right now. I have to wait till I get this hardware removed. Um, yeah, get that junk out of there. Man. Yeah. It's exciting. Lenny McCrina, who's uh, up at champion with, um, you know, he and Mike Reinhold, Dave Tilly and Dan Pope. Um, Lenny told me the other day, he's like, Hey, congratulations, dude. You, you, you know, you're almost at 10,000 followers. I'm like, I had no clue. Mm. Um, you know, maybe I should be paying closer to closer attention to the numbers. Well, apparently Um, that's a big step. I guess that means you can like, uh, you get the swipe up feature from what I hear. Like uh, on somebody's on your story, you can like, they can swipe up and it sends them to a website. I think I heard, I, again, I do not have 10,000 followers, so I cannot confirm this. Um, but I heard that's when you get it. 10,000 followers. You can add that, uh, that feature. Yeah, I, I would have never known that. I, w- I wouldn't have been uh, taking advantage of it. I probably still won't. So, um, no, but anyways. Well, hey, I, I have so many, there are so many people that have been singing your praises too, guys. So keep up the good work. And uh, I'm, it's always humbling and flattering to, uh, to have people reach out to do these podcasts. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate yes, that. Definitely. We can't thank you enough for your time. And we hope everybody will, um, will check out the book on chrisjohnsonpt.com. And then you can also, you know, of course, sign up for the course. It's going to be awesome. Two full days, November 10th and 11th, right here in Columbia. We're so lucky that, um, you know, to be hosting uh, so many great courses. So make sure you're checking that one out. And we mentioned it earlier, but the body tempering course the week prior, you, you know, your November can get you all the CEUs you could possibly need. So, um, you know, definitely be checking that out. Um, as always, if you want to find out more about us, um, you can go to at better, faster podcast or better, faster podcast.com. Find out more about the clinic, go to at vertex PT.com or, or at vertex PT.com uh, or at vertex PT. And if you want to find out more uh, from what we're doing in the gym, go to at CPT underscore strength or Carolina performance 
We appreciate all of you tuning in to listen, uh, and hopefully we'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Vertex PT Specialist. One patient per doctor physical therapy per hour. Guaranteed. The best physical therapy ever. Check us out at vertexpt.com or on the gram at vertexpt.